Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Sandy Peace. Dr. Peace is a California licensed psychologist in private practice. She received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the John F. Kennedy University in Pleasant Hill, California, where she focused on multicultural diversity. She's a trained sex educator, speaker, and researcher with expertise working with LGBTQ and polyamorous clients. She provides trainings for mental health professionals on working with polyamorous clients, facilitates polyamory support and discussion groups, and presented her doctoral dissertation research toward a model of polyamorous identity development at the first international academic polyamory conference at UC Berkeley in 2012. She has appeared on radio shows, given commencement speeches, sat on sex information panels, served as a liaison to the university pride centers, and presented keynote addresses at Pride Month celebrations. She is a community organizer in the bisexual and polyamorous communities in Los Angeles, San Luis Obispo, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Today, she is on to talk about polyamorous relationships. Welcome, Dr. Peace. Thank you. So today, the topic, we're going to talk about polyamorous relationships. And I know that's something that you focus on in your clinical work with patients. So I have a lot of questions about it. Should we just start simple? What is polyamory? Sure. So to me, polyamory and open relationships, there's a lot of different words for it. But to me, there's kind of an umbrella definition that includes people who are in multiple loving, romantic, sexual relationships with the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. So those are the three elements, the poly, many, and then amory, love. And then of course, what makes it different from cheating is that everyone knows and everyone is consenting. Got it. So question, as a psychologist, Mm -hmm. how does your role fit into people who are maybe considering this type of, do you call it lifestyle choices? How do you word it appropriately? Yeah. To me, there's, there's kind of two different angles. One is definitely a relationship style choice. We've been kind of presented a mononormative, heteronormative way of relating. And so it's, it is a choice, but there's also this question of like, are we innately kind of wired to want to have more than one sexual partner, sexual romantic partner throughout our lifespan? So to be determined, you know, there's not a whole lot of research on that, but as far as the clinical practice, there's kind of three main groups of people who come. One is couples who are in an established monogamous relationship and one or both of them, usually one of them has kind of come to this realization that, ooh, I think polyamory is something I wanna try or I am feeling polyamorous. I want to love more than one person and have more than one person in my life. And so we're really, couples are working to open up their relationship. So they have, they start out monogamous and they're wanting to maybe transition. Then I've got people who are already poly, they're in poly relationships and they're just figuring out the dynamics. Like, what are we doing? How does this work? And then there's other people who might even be single and really questioning, am I polyamorous? What is this thing? 
and a lot of times dealing with a lot of shame or feeling like I'm doing something wrong if I do this or I'm letting people down. So it's really a very complex issue anywhere from the very intrapersonal to the interpersonal to the societal. So it's a very kind of dynamic therapeutic process for people. And how do you just in general approach therapy with people in the context of polyamorous relationships? And you said there's kind of three different types of issues or questions that people come to you um, with. But I guess the question is kind of how do you proceed with therapy, how you think about therapy in those Mm -hmm. cases? Sure. So I guess the first place I start with is that the client knows themselves and I am not going to question their desire to be polyamorous. So we're just starting right there with taking away the shame. You know, so I guess background about me, I've studied and worked with a lot of people kind of living on the margins of white heteronormative, mononormative culture, whether it's someone who's an immigrant, someone who is LGBT, people who are polyamorous. So really, I found that a lot of people who are kind of living on the margins, so to speak, of dominant culture feel that there's something inherently wrong with them. When there's nothing wrong with them, we're living in a society that is not accepting of people who are different, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just start that with like affirming, okay, this is who you are. This is what you want. Let's start from there. So a lot of therapists, I mean, I've had a lot of people come and be like, oh, I had to educate my therapist about what polyamory is. They told me that all my relationship problems are because I'm polyamorous. So step one is just affirm. So question, I'll I'll ask this question. What if someone isn't sure? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if someone isn't sure, I guess this is where maybe I can pull up some of my research. For my dissertation research, I wanted to, to really dig into how do people come from not even knowing what polyamory is, like a total ignorance of of this phenomena, to saying, I am polyamorous. And our self-identities are very complex. And so I wanted to create a model to help guide people who are coming through and just like, I'm just not sure. So let me share my screen real quick and I'll show you um, kind of what I came up with. So really, most people are raised just totally unaware of what polyamory is. And so we're all kind of, you know, like we're indoctrinated into a racist society and indoctrinated into a heteronormative society. We're indoctrinated into monogamy as the way of relating. And so the concept that you can have more than one relationship at a time is just absent from the consciousness. And so what do we do? We attempt to conform to monogamy. So, so many people, most people that I talk to have really tried hard to find that one person soulmate and to be with them in a monogamous relationship. And they're just like, I don't know if this is right, but I'm just going to do it. So there's this kind of sense of like, "Mm, is this me? I don't know, but everyone else is doing it. And then here's the conflict piece is they're failing at monogamy. So they're really trying to be monogamous, but there's just this nagging feeling of like something's wrong. They're falling in love with other people and feeling bad about it, like I'm not supposed to do this. And a lot of times this people do divorce. They practice serial monogamy. They maybe attempt open relationships and very often will experience infidelity. They'll just go ahead and have the relationship and, and not tell their partner or talk to them about it. So they're discontent with monogamy, but 
they haven't really quite landed on, there might be another way to do relationships. And so there's a lot of psychological conflict at this point. And this is really where people, this attempt to conform and the fail of monogamy is when people come and seek therapy usually. But then, well, and I should say too, they also come when they have this introduction to polyamory as a concept. So they might read an article, they might read a book, they might talk to someone who is doing it. And all of a sudden there's this internal resonance of like, oh my God, what if that's me? And so at this point, they start to actively seek information about it. So these are the three stages where I see people coming into therapy. And then as we move through the therapy process, we start to get an acceptance of polyamory, like, okay, this is a thing, this is something I can do. And this is a big one too. This to me is the big change process that needs to happen in polyamory is really making a paradigm shift from I can only love one person to all of a sudden I can love more more than one person. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's beautiful. It's a very abundant way of living. And so this is the paradigm shift. And, you know, we see this all the time in therapy. We help people come to new realizations and new ways of looking at themselves in the world. And then very much, then, of course, people need to engage in relationships. They actually have to do it. And so this is a very, also a very challenging, okay, I guess people come see me here too. Like, how do we do this? There's no rules for this. There's no guidelines for this. Like, we all have a very, like, there's a very clear blueprint of how to do monogamy, not so much. And everyone's idea of what they want in an open relationship is different. So here we're really, the individual is really maybe asking themselves for the first time, what do I want in my relationships? What will make me happy? What do I want to give? In a more conscious way than maybe they've ever done before. And then we're starting the navigating and negotiating these relationships with other people. And then, of course, within this, it's like tolerating all the emotions that come with this, which there are many from the most beauteous love to the most insane jealousy to the most insecure feelings of rejection and everything in between. A lot of people do seek out community just they want to meet other people and exchange ideas and, and have kind of a feeling of a sense of belonging. And of course, you see this a lot with other marginalized cultures, the LGBT community, communities of color will kind of seek each other out and find that support, kind of like a little refuge. Within the dominant culture, I'm seeking refuge with people who like get me. And then finally, there's this kind of identity of I am polyamorous. I'm internalizing the subcultural values and norms and then practicing polyamory. But unlike, say, sexual identity where people come out as gay or lesbian and that identity development model coming out as I am gay is an important part of that identity. I would say not so much with polyamory because it's still very much not accepted and it's there still can be severe social ramifications everywhere from losing friends to losing jobs to losing your religious community. And so I've noticed people selectively come out, but I would not say coming out is a necessary step in, in becoming and being polyamorous. Right. So okay, I have so sorry. many questions. Yeah, please. <laughs> because because I, I, this is a topic that I, I've been curious about because I have had clients and patients talk about this mm-hmm. and it does seem psychologically very complicated. Yes. So a, f- a few questions I wanted to ask. So also this clarification you had mentioned in the very beginning of our interview, it takes 
both members of a monogamous partnership to yeah. agree that this is what they want to have for their relationship first, yeah. right? Yes. I'm sure there's a lot of conflict in terms of expectations in that very beginning stage. Absolutely. So the most common scenario I see is one person is really like having this personal awakening and is very excited about it and is starting to talk to their partner about it who is just skeptical and loves their partner and wants to support their personal growth. And so will sometimes reluctantly sometimes with hesitant curiosity, sometimes with just like gung-ho, like, yeah, let's try this. Why not? Again, with varying degrees of success. Not everyone is polyamorous. I don't even advocate it for everyone. And so there is many times when a couple will realize, I just don't want polyamory. I am monogamous. Some people land on, I am monogamous. I'm okay if you see other people. Some people are like, you know what? When we got married, we agreed to monogamy. You're changing the agreement on me. And I just can't do that. So we're going to need to divorce or separate. But again, even the process of questioning it and thinking about it makes even people who at the end of the day want monogamy really stop to question, well, what do I want and why do I want it? And to me, this is important because most of us just jump into monogamy without questioning it. It's just like, that's what it is. So, to, I mean, to me as a psychologist, anytime we question ourselves and why we're doing things, even if we end up where we started, to me is an important and valuable process. Yeah, true. So with your work with, with clients, are there ever people who come in curious about polyamory and then in the end decide, you know what, that's actually not for me. And so the question I want to ask is, what are some instances where this actually might not be the best choice for them. Sure, sure. Well, let me let me take the the really extreme examples first. Like if someone has a history of domestic violence where they want seek power and control in a relationship, that their jealousy is just out of control, that for them jealousy is a reason, you know, someone's making me jealous and I need to control you. They should never ever 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 try polyamory ever. And if you're in a partnership with someone who has that level of control issues, I would not try it. <laughs> so that's, that's the extreme. People who are uncomfortable or not wanting to really examine who am I, what do I want to jump outside of a norm, like they're, they're feeling like, you know what, this is my cultural value, this is my family value, and this is the right way of doing things, and are just very solidly like, I, I wouldn't, you know, try it then. I think what does happen for a lot of people, and they are open, they are curious about personal growth, about different ways of living and being, and they jump in, but they might not have the tools to really communicate effectively I mean, first of all, just knowing what you want. How many women are really asked for real, what do you want? Okay, men too, really, but women for sure. And so they need to be able to ask what I want. They need to really examine and bring to consciousness what are the societal rules that have been placed on me that I have bought into subconsciously. And can I accept that I've done that? 
And then can I accept that maybe it's not who I am and maybe I'm going to have the courage to do something different. Even if my family doesn't approve, even if my spouse doesn't approve, you know, so there, there is kind of this warrior spirit that needs to happen of like, who I am is more important than what society tells me I should be. And so it, it is a very challenging, you know, path to navigate. And if you don't have social support, it can be really, really, really tough, which is why so many people seek out community, especially if their families or friends are, are really rejecting them and not supporting them. And then, of course, the last thing is just to be able to talk about emotions, process emotions, figure out how to negotiate agreements with their partner. The negotiation piece is really important. So we aren't getting into like coercion or power and control plays, but really trying to create an open and egalitarian conversation about getting needs met. And a thought just came up. Um, so one question is, do people ever, they're in a monogamous relationship, they decide to try out polyamory and then they go back to monogamy. I mean, is it fluid in terms of shifting preference? Yes. Yes. And I would say even people who are polyamorous often shift. So one of the things about polyamorous relationships that I noticed in my research is they're very fluid. People can go from friends to lovers, back to friends. People who are married might go from lovers and parents to just co-parents and they have other lovers. So yes, there is, I do see people try it and then go, Mm, this is not for us. It's putting too much strain on our marriage. We're parenting together. We just don't need this extra level of emotional labor and intensity. And so for sure, there's plenty of people who go back. And sometimes there is one or both of them. There is still this longing of like, mm, yeah, I, I wish I could. Mm -hmm. But in a way, when someone chooses to do monogamy, yes you have basically said, I am not going to have sexual relationships with anyone else other than my spouse for the rest of my life. That's pretty intense. It's pretty intense um, proposition when our lives are not 40 years anymore, like they used to be way back in the day. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. well, and this other idea that I often think about is so people in a marriage, right, who are just dissatisfied with their partner. Mm -hmm. And I guess this might come up a lot too in your work with people, this idea of maybe they're dissatisfied with their partner, but they don't want to say that, right? Yeah. And they think, okay, well, polyamory is a way to just kind of be okay with my the person I'm married to. So yeah. how I'm curious how that comes out in your work and sure. how you work with that. Sure, sure. Definitely this comes up where people like in infidelity, will try and triangulate with an outside party to avoid discussing the problems in their own marriage or, or relationship. I am definitely an advocate of if you are starting out with a primary relationship, even if you're both polyamorous, if your primary relationship is not solid, trying to have other people come in is just not probably going to work because there are issues that you're not addressing with one another. And so like with any couple that I'd be working with or dyad, of course, we need to talk about what are the dissatisfactions, what are those resentments I've been holding on to, what are the things I haven't been saying, and just having those really honest and vulnerable and difficult but necessary conversations. But yes, sometimes I've gotten kind of pulled in. You know, I do start with the, okay, polyamory is good, we're doing this. And then it becomes clear of like, oh, 
oh no, there's big conflict between these people that really needs to be addressed before they can move forward polyamory successfully, if at all. Right. So um, it sounds like there needs to be a very strong foundational relationship with your primary dyad before yeah. really complicating it with, with yeah. other partners. For sure. I mean, it really has to be, you know, those couples who are functioning well, who can really say anything to one another, even the most like potentially hurtful or vulnerable things about, you know, I'm going through this period of my life and I'm just not feeling sexually attracted to you right now, or the hurt that the other person might feel because of that and the rejection they might feel. So just having those tough conversations is, I don't want to say at ease because they're not easy, but a framework and ability to, to really compassionately hold each other's experience without taking it so personally. Right. So question. Yes. How did you get into this as a specialty <laughs> of treatment? I'm very sure. curious. Sure. You know, I think it started with, I mean, I've always been someone who has kind of questioned social norms every since I was a little kid. And you know, as someone who grew up in a family where there was divorce early on and a, a blended family, I have a very complex family constellation. I was raised by aunties and grandmas and, you know, on both sides of the family and just had a lot of people in my life caring for me and my brother. But I really was asking myself, why is it that 50% of married people get divorced? Like that doesn't seem like very good odds and statistics. So is there a different way people could be relating to each other and creating lives together that would decrease how often they divorce? And so I just started researching and thinking about this concept and I started to land on open relationships. Mm-hmm. And then of course, as always, sometimes our personal and professional interests kind of evolve together. Like I know I was socialized very early to want monogamous relationships, like early in my little teenage. I just wanted to like hold hands and like kiss everyone I could get my hands on. But I learned very quickly that that's not okay. You have to pick one person to stick with them. And so I did that because socially it was more acceptable and it was easier to just do the high school thing, playing that rule. But I consciously knew that was a rule of society that didn't fit who I am. And so once I had the power to kind of explore more what I wanted and, and just the emotional fortitude to deal with people who didn't like who I was or what I was doing, then more possibilities started to open up. And I just like, okay, the whole world's open. Let's see what there is out there. So, so what do you think the future is for, for this choice, right? There's a sense that it's becoming more acceptable or there's more acceptance of this choice. I think there's a long way to go. What do you see for the future? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, already we're seeing like in California, three people can adopt a child. More than two people can can be like the legal adopted parents of a child. I think this is true. Where was it? Washington, D.C. recently allowed for three parental names on a birth certificate. And so I think slowly, slowly, we're not having these like big nationally sweeping laws, but at the local level, there's like little tiny changes that allow for the possibility that more than two people will be the caregiver of a child, for instance, and that a family unit might consist of more than two people. And I mean, if we think 
I was going to say historically, but even right now, culturally, many white middle-class Americans have like, have somehow weirdly in the last hundred years, less than that, 50 years, maybe a little more, have decided that the nuclear family of mom, dad, and two kids is the family unit that works best. But when we really look at wider cultures, there's it's multi-generations raising families and raising kids and supporting one another. It was funny because when I was in my grad school, we had to do a genogram. And I had this idea of myself as like, I grew up in a nuclear family. But really, I really started looking at who were my caregivers. I'm like, oh my gosh, like 15 people helped raise me. We're family or then cherished babysitters, things like that. And so part of me, you know, part of me wonders is like, is there something to do with that? That I was just raised more openly, like to try other people's foods and live by someone else's house rules and interact with people in different ways. So there's that piece, the legal piece. I think also because we're moving into a culture that is more accepting of sexuality, particularly women's sexuality, who is starting to evolve to the sense that women and children are no longer property, that people are not property, hopefully as a global consciousness. I mean, we definitely have human trafficking and, and, and slavery and wages that are definitely slave-like or indentured servant-like. Okay, so that's happening. But I do think there is a subset of the population who like, I want to really respect other people's choices and not treat my relationship partners as like I own them or they owe me something. So, I mean, I'm hoping for like relationally that we can really get to a place where we're not playing these power and control dynamics to try and stay related to one another and get our needs met. But we can really openly and honestly say, I cherish you. We're here together, walking through life together. We're helping to meet each other's needs. What are those needs? And really like re-envisioning love is something that is abundant rather than if I love you and then have love for someone else, I'm taking away love from you and giving it to you. So for me, just philosophically, at the end of the day, it's a paradigm shift from either or to both and. Hmm. I can love you and I can love someone else, not I can love you or I can love someone else. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's the perfect place to end because it really kind of wraps up the essence of the work that you do and how you try to help people shift kind of their way of thinking in terms of getting their needs met in a way that feels right and appropriate to them. I'm going to make sure that we have your information on the episode description. So if any listener would like to get a little bit more information about the work you do, they can find it. Or also just kind of ideas about resources if people are just curious about this. Sure. Oh my gosh. In the last 15 years, There's just been an abundance of books now being written. When I did my dissertation research in 2012, I finished, and there was just like nothing. There was like a few sociological articles, a couple of white legal papers, and maybe a handful of books. Now there's just a ton of books about what is this? How do people do this? What styles of relating are there? So there's just so many wonderful resources published, not to mention blogs and Facebook groups and just really ways to connect with people and ask these questions. 
Maybe but, we, I'll make sure to list a few of your favorites on the episode description too. Sure, so. sure. Do you have any last words for people? Um, oh gosh, overall, I want more love in this world. And I want more acceptance of, you know, people for who they are and for people to really feel free to express themselves and connect with people and to express their sexuality in a, a way that feels good. Of course, with consent and consideration for everyone. So I, I guess I'm not a proponent of like expressing yourself with the idea of hurting someone else. So yeah, I'm just really hoping that polyamory and polyamorous relationships can be a way that connects communities that can actually help people renegotiate how they relate. So if one part of the relationship isn't working, they don't have to throw away the whole relationship. Mm -hmm. They can renegotiate to create a different relating. And I guess I'll say, I see this a lot for parents who maybe want to divorce but love their children and want to create a family sense and a co-parenting that exes can remain friends, even if they're not lovers anymore. And so I think there is a way that polyamory and the concept of it helps open up dialogue to understand that it's not an all or nothing thing in relating to people. We can really find the ways we connect. And if we don't connect, we don't have to fight about it we can get those needs met elsewhere. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end. I really appreciate you coming on and educating me about this topic. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the listener finds some important and useful information in our talk. So thanks yeah. for being on. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's just my pleasure. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.